You're in the water loop. You're in the water loop. This is Travis. I am joined today by Dr. John Burns. He's an assistant professor in the Marine Science Department, University of Hawaii at Hilo. John, aloha. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I can, I can, you know, say that with some credibility since I lived in Hawaii too for five <laughs> years. I'm not not just doing the tourist thing by saying that. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, so I'm I'm excited to talk to you today about uh, coral reefs and uh, a lot of different topics about why they're important and their health and uh, the sunscreen ban in Hawaii and so forth. So uh, I, I wanted to start with that health question, you know, why, why are coral reefs so important to the marine ecosystem? Yeah, they just fill a really unique role in the world's oceans. Um, I think, you know, one of the most intriguing ways to think about it is if you imagine the small amount of area they take up. Right. I mean, like we know it's hard to imagine we can't see the globe at once. Right. In all of its, well, I guess, circular or flat glory, depending on which yeah. you're a part of there. But it's huge. Okay, It's massive. The ocean is the majority of all of that. Um, so, we, you know, we're familiar with the ocean as just being this, this vast blue expanse. In this tiny amount of area, you've got these shallow habitats. Right. That, that are restricted. They've got to be in semi like tropical or subtropical areas. They have to be shallow. They, they need all, you know, they're very finicky. They've got all these characteristics that they like. So they, they don't take up a lot of space, but at the same time, they're the most productive and diverse ecosystems um, in the ocean, right? I mean, they rival rainforests in terms of the carbon they fix and the oxygen they produce, but they just don't take up as much surface area. But like per unit meter, you're talking about, yeah, one of the most productive systems that we've got. So it's really, um, you know, like a, a wonder of this planet that they happen to develop and grow and thrive the way they do. Uh, because with their existence, you've got this unbelievably diverse habitat. And I say diverse in every imaginable form. I mean, the, the shapes, the colors, the sizes, the structure. And then in each one is like a wonderland, right? I mean, all that space is like a bustling city. So you've got habitats for all shapes and sizes of fish, inverts, you name it. Um, and the craziest part about it is we've, we've only scratched the surface of, of what's out there. You know, like we go to the reefs that we can go to. It's hard. Mm. And it's hard to see a coral reef. One, <laughs> breathe underwater um, or hold your breath as long as you can. Yeah. And those locations that are it's restricted to, like I was saying, um, in the tropics, you know, Hawaii, we're, we're very fortunate to have a lot of coastal access, but but many islands are just very remote and very difficult to get to. So, um, yeah, they're, they're just this amazing, you know, the common term is like rainforest of the sea, but I mean, I'm a coral reef person, so I like to say rainforest of <laughs> the coral reefs of the land, you know? Yeah, I like I like that. Turn it around on them. Yeah. Um, a couple words you said, I want to follow up on, you know, you, you called them like a wonderland. I mean, I know that's uh, how I feel about coral reefs. Like it's just amazing to be down there, whether you're scuba diving or, or free diving, snorkeling, whatever, and just taking in that, those colors and shapes and diversity. It's, uh, it's, it's, it is amazing and beautiful. Uh, you call them productive. What does that, what does that mean when you say that the coral reefs are so productive for, for the ocean? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, just to follow up the Wonderland, yeah, I mean, it's like Dr. Seuss down there, you know. It is. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't imagine those shapes, you know. You have to see them to realize that they exist. Um, but on that note, right, the shapes. So you've got 
when you have all this multitude of, of shapes, right? You have a diverse habitat that supports a number of organisms. So the word productive can be applied several ways. Like one, the corals are very special, unlike many organisms where they are an animal. Most people don't realize that they're an animal, true mm. and true. But they have algae that lives inside of them, right? In this, in this mutualistic relationship, meaning the algae benefit, they've got a place to live in the coral. And now the coral essentially has solar panels in its tissue. <laughs> that's photosynthesizing all day. I mean, the equivalent is if we had that, we wouldn't eat, right? You just put your hand out yeah. the window and you're full. <laughs> that enables them to, I mean, at the base level of what productivity means, right? It's fixing carbon producing oxygen. Mm. Um, but it's bigger than that, literally in the sense that the habitat's supporting all this biomass of fish, right? So they're productive in the sense that they, are you know storehouses of oxygen they're fixing carbon dioxide which is important for our planet and then they're home to more species than we know like we literally have no idea how many species they hold because we haven't discovered it and the food web is is pretty simple right you got a lot of small fish they feed big fish that feeds bigger fish and and pretty soon you get this high level of biomass among those levels of the system and that produces food you know yeah. That's why there are so many people around the world that get their protein from reefs because from it's reef. got all these fish. Yeah. Um, I saw a statistic. You can tell me if it's accurate or not. That Something about reefs cover like 1% or less of the ocean's floor, but support like 25% of marine life. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's that It's like we have a lot of those statistics and they're sort of like perfectly general. Cause like I said, we, we don't know. Like I, I was at a workshop once, we, we estimated that we've visibly seen maybe one seven hundred thousandths of the actual reefs out there, you know? I mean, and that's probably as crazy a statistic as anything, right? Yeah. Back of the envelope. But the moral of the story is like, yeah, we, we really don't know. But if you, if you take into an account, you know, what we do know about the depth of the ocean, where they can exist, right? They need sunlight, so you're not gonna find them at the poles. They need warm water, so they're restricted to the equator. So yeah, it's probably covering at most a percentage of at the planet. Most, yeah. But if, yeah, if you take how much life is in like, you know, the average reef system, then yeah, it's probably easily supporting 25% of that, it's, which yeah. is crazy. It, I mean, that when you really step back and think about it is nuts. Yeah. One And, and what, so it sounds like 1% of the ocean's floor that they cover is probably a very high estimate even. They're, they're this small sliver. Um, yeah. You mentioned something else about... Uh, you know, the kind of the, the carbon and, and oxygen and all that kind of good stuff going on. Uh, how, what, what's their role in the health of, you know, the environment, uh, the planet, uh, kind of that, that interplay between the oceans and the atmosphere and so forth? Yeah, I mean, I love that question. I get it a lot. Um, people ask me, you know, why should someone in the Midwest or New York care about corals? And I like it because it's the easiest question to answer. Like, do you like oxygen? You know, I mean, do you like breathing <laughs> an environment with enough oxygen? I mean, that's why we, it's, it's interesting because, you know, it's so simple for us. We grow up with it, understanding like, oh, we need those plants. We need trees. They, they photosynthesize, they make oxygen. Like it's a direct connection. I've seen it my whole life. It's no different underwater. I mean, uh, most of our um, oxygen is, is produced by the oceans, right? You got tons of phytoplankton, you've got coral reefs. Um, so ocean health is just as important for maintaining our oxygen level and fixing carbon dioxide as is forest health. You know, like we, we don't even question it when someone tells us, hey, if we go and pave the whole world, we're screwing ourselves over. Right. right. But if you go and destroy the reefs, you're, you're doing the exact same thing. So, I mean, at that basic, basic level, 
it's super important to maintain a climate that we need to thrive as humans. Unfortunately, there's some people that think that we can just pave the whole world and it's not going to uh, make a difference, right? Uh, <laughs> well, so, I mean, you know, if we get yeah, a bunch that, of that, there you go. <laughs> I always love like, you know, going in for a hike in the forest and when it's like, you know, you, you almost can feel it like breathing on you when you're deep in the woods somewhere or, or whatever. And I so it's like the ocean's breathing, uh, breathing on us too. Cool. Yeah. What about, what about the other benefits of coral reefs other than kind of that, you know, for the marine ecosystem and for, you know, the oxygen and, and so forth, um, the importance of reefs for like the coastal communities that they're, that they're by, uh, yeah, economically and all that. I mean, that's where you get really what I like to call, you know, just direct benefits, right? I mean, direct as in spatially, the reef is there, I get a benefit here. So like we were talking about with productivity, they're an enormous uh, food source for coastal communities that live next to reefs, you know, that, that like, I mean, in Hawaii, they've got such a, a deep cultural connection to coral reefs. And the mm -hmm. reason is that it is the base of the food web, right? And, and they considered the coral polyp the very initial organism in the Kumulipu, uh, uh, sorry, Kumulipo genealogical chant, right? So first came the coral polyp and then uh -huh. everything else. And if you think about life in the islands, that reef is your basis of your food supply. You know, if you're living on the coast, that's your refrigerator. I mean, that's, that's your food. Um, and then it's bigger than that where they break up an immense amount of wave energy. So if tomorrow we went and just removed all the reefs, you know, the East Coast, where it's tropical, right? The, the Florida reef tracks, et cetera. Uh, Hawaii, every place with coral reefs would now just be exposed to unrelenting wave energy. And mm. you would have hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars all over the place of coastal damage and erosion because that reef is no longer buffering that energy that's traveling all the way across you know, global oceans and landing on your coastline. Yeah. Uh, so we often forget that value. And then, of course, yeah, there's natural products, right? There's all types of, of chemicals and compounds and molecules we discover on corals. And that's one of the saddest things to me is that I'm just sort of scared that, you know, we will lose them before we've had the opportunity to discover, you know, what's out there that can benefit us in our day to day lives. That's something you hear about rainforests, too, is all the kind of medicines and things that have come out of those rainforests. So I really wasn't familiar with that with coral reefs, that there's been, you know, that that, that type of uh, value from there. Is there anything you can kind of give an example of? I mean, sponges is one that comes to the top of my mind, right? Like a healthy yeah. reef has a lot of diversity in all types of animals and organisms, all shapes and forms. And I mean, sponges are one that are, are often... Um, you know, acquired in, in that area of research, like natural products, and they found a lot of medicinal compounds um, mm. come from that. And, and, you know, we are in an existence where our ability to understand and learn from the world is coupled with, you know, our technological advancements. And so it's a catch-22 because as we get more advanced, we're putting environments at a greater risk. Yeah. We yeah. also have more tools to go out there and find and extract these things that could cure cancer. Yeah. Um, I guess another benefit, you know, is also kind of the the tourism, you know, that goes around these for those communities that have access, right? Like yeah, it's, a, it's a nice engine. Yeah, I mean, in Hawaii alone, the last estimate I saw was like 364 point something million dollars a year. You know, mm. they generate through economic revenue, be it fishing, tourism, et cetera. And that's what, like a million dollars a day. Uh, the global estimate is 40 something billion dollars that they're worth. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you just go to any harbor in a tropical place with tourism and you see dive charter boats going out every day. You know, you see 
uh, fishing charter boats that even if they're going offshore, you know, the, the inshore reefs are nursery habitats for fish to grow and develop and then go back offshore. So uh, there's, a, you know, everything in the world, especially the ocean, is connected. Um, and so, yeah, like we, we are fools if we don't think that those economic benefits are dependent on the health of the reefs. Yeah. And, uh, one of my favorite benefits personally is, you know, they, they help those waves break uh, for, so they're great for, uh, creating this surf <laughs> yeah. spots, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, had, that's what really got me into this, you know, as a kid, I, I just wanted to be a pro surfer, was obsessed with surfing and then, uh, you know, spent some time in, in tropical locations and, and realized that, you know, I want to spend time in these environments. And, and then as I got older, you realized like, oh, maybe I want to do something to help save them. And then, yeah. you know, collectively it kind of led to the interest in science and conservation. Yeah. And then you get to, to be studying and be around these, uh, the reefs and doing all the stuff you love with it. That's all. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so this is all pretty positive about how awesome reefs are. I guess we have to shift gears a little bit uh, and talk about kind of their their health and what's going on. And I'm I'm definitely curious about kind of the global health of coral reefs. Just just what that picture looks like. Obviously, there's a lot of variability from place to place. It's it can be a localized issue, and we can dig into that. But uh, there's all these stories out there about coral reefs and the bleaching and uh, impacts of global warming and, and so forth. So, um, yeah, what's what's your assessment? It's, I mean, it, it's hard to give a one-size-fits-all answer because it's different everywhere around the globe. Um, at the simplest level, you know, we're seeing declines in coral health associated with, you know, our activities on this planet and, and the impacts that, that we have on our, our surrounding environments. Um, I studied, and I still do, you know, a, a lot of my research is very specific on coral health and disease. Uh, so I do a lot of 3D mapping now, but that is all built out of that desire to understand what makes corals healthy, right? And then what happens when they become unhealthy and die? Like, how does that scale up through the ecosystem? How does it affect the fish? How does it affect the resources we as humans depend on? Um, it's different, right? I mean, you've seen like in Florida, for instance, on the East Coast, they had really horrific disease outbreaks that just wiped out entire coastal tracts of reefs. You know, it's, it's nothing like it used to be. And with that has been a large reduction in those those resources we were talking about. Uh, places like Hawaii, you know, have done better. You know, they, they, they haven't had as, as many detrimental large scale disease outbreaks. But at the same time, we have not been immune to stress and, and, and problems with coral health. We've had elevated seawater temperatures for back-to-back -back years, which has never, it's an unprecedented occurrence. Uh, I never thought I would see mass bleaching in Hawaii. I mean, I hoped I wouldn't really in my lifetime. And, and I've, I've got sites in the northwestern Hawaiian Islands that, that are completely dead. Um, you know, what's, so what's, what's the bleaching uh, about? What causes, what causes the bleaching? Yeah, so it's a really good question. And and one thing, when you talk about coral health, you got to understand, like I was saying, they're animals, right? But they're animals that live in this consortium with all these other small organisms. So they've got algae, they've got bacteria they depend on. So one difficulty with studying coral health is it is so hard mm -hmm. to figure out what made them sick in the first place huh. and what dictates why they recover. You know, it's not as easy as 
like doing a medical study where you can look at every patient and be like, okay, well, what was your diet? You know, do you exercise? Do you have a family history? You know, they don't speak. And, and a lot of that is, 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 yeah. And I mean, a lot of it is clouded by, you know, say I take a tissue sample. It's very hard just to tell, am I, am I now analyzing just the coral tissue or do I have that algal tissue embedded it and how many microbes snuck into my sample for that analysis? So it's really hard to disentangle what makes them tick. Um, so bleaching, even bleaching can be caused by more factors than, than you would believe, right? Okay. But the yeah. primary one is temperature. And what happens is the water gets too hot and corals, they, they kind of exist right at their upper threshold of temperature. Like they like it hot. They want it as hot as they can get it. A little too hot, they don't like it. Boom. And what happens is there's some internal reactions that occur and they'll basically expel that algae, right? That acts like the solar panel in their tissue. Once that's expelled, that algae is algae, right? So it gives it like a green, brown, or colorful pigment that you see. So algae goes, pigment goes, coral looks stark white. Hence, it looks like it's been bleached. Yeah. Uh, and what's interesting there is there's a common misconception that when they're bleached, they're dead. That's what I thought. Yeah, they're not dead. If they were dead, they would look brown and green because it takes almost no time at all for algae to start settling all over dead coral tissue, right? Like once that coral tissue is dead and it's just skeleton, boom, that stuff is fouled up like a, a fish tank that you neglect for a week, right? It takes gotcha. no time for that thing to get dirty. Um, so when they're bleached, they're actually alive. That's good. Yeah, which is good. And they can recover. The problem is they've lost that algae. So they've lost an immense energy source, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's very similar to when we're sick, we turn pale, right? Our, our yeah. energy resources are low. And it's very hard to recover from, say, a bad flu or bad illness when your doctor tells you, okay, you're only allowed to eat a little bit of food now. That's it, right? Yes. So now at this bleach state, they're also the most vulnerable they can be to all these other diseases. So it's positive a little bit in the sense that we should do everything we can to help them recover from that bleach state. So we, we shouldn't be diving and having tourism on those reefs. We shouldn't be putting pollution on those reefs. We should do everything we can. They can recover, but it's scary because as time progresses, we tend to see a, an amplification of these stressors, right? Global temperatures are rising, pollution is going up. And so with time, they're kind of becoming more and more vulnerable to these bleaching events. And that I think is why we're seeing a lot more mortality associated with bleaching than in the past. Um, but, but it is a natural thing too. You got to remember that, right? There, there's been temperature anomalies in the past, corals are animals, animals die. So you, sure. you do get a natural flux of life and death. But you know something's out of whack when you get massive populations that just die, you know, within right. a couple of months. Yeah. So the main the main threat to coral reefs right now is the bleaching from the ocean temperatures being so hot. But you'd probably also say there's other disease issues that are from pollution and so forth. Yeah, I, I never like to say there's one thing because it's never that simple. So I, I think what is most important to remember is that these global stressors are there. They're persistent and they're getting worse, right? So we need that in our consciousness. We need to think, how do we reduce CO2? How do we change global temperature? How do we battle that? Now, I'm also aware that if you get too focused on the big picture stuff, it starts to become defeating, you know? I mean, like, how can I, right. in my desk, right. in this office, get China and the US to agree <laughs> on a climate deal, right? It's not yeah. gonna happen. Um, maybe Trump, the deal master, will work that out, but That's I don't know right. if, if reefs are his focus. Um, but, like I was saying, under that stress, 
all those direct local stressors are now more important than ever. So I can make a difference every day by just eliminating the pollutants that I'm releasing into a reef environment uh, by doing everything we can to keep water quality high along the coastline. You know, don't develop on the coast. Don't have cesspools in your house or septic. Uh, there, Don't let sediments run off. Right? I mean, in Hawaii, for example, it can become an abstract thing. Um, you know, corals in the land are connected. They're, they're near shore systems. So if we don't manage our forests, like here's an example here. We have all these ungulates, right? Pigs, goats, sheep. You you lived here. You're aware of yep. it. They're invasive. They don't belong here. Right. So if they take over a landscape, they eat all the vegetation. Now the vegetation doesn't hold the sediment. Now when it rains, these sediments flush down the river, smother the reef, and bring all these different you know microbes and bacteria that can be potential pathogens. So it quickly becomes evident that you've got all these different factors that if left unattended is going to be very harmful for corals. But you know, we can do something today because all of those local stressors, I can go out and I can do something positive to reduce that. You know, I mean, at the simplest level, I can go shoot a goat and eat it. Right? But <laughs> yeah, yeah. less ungulate on the hillside. So, I mean, there, there's something I can do. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's that, it's that old bumper sticker, right? Like, think globally, act locally, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That, that approach. Um, I didn't have this on my list of questions, but is the is the plastic issue in the ocean impacting corals at all, or even the super microplastics? Is that uh, is there anything going on on that front other than it being probably, you know, trash sitting on reefs and so forth? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's it, it affects them on several levels. I mean, the most basic level would be that. Um, you know, large trash, large marine debris, like net, line, you know, large physical objects, that smothers corals and abrades them, meaning that, like, it'll rip their tissue. And because they're animals just like us, you know, if you get a cut and then you don't clean it, right, you get an infection. And so marine debris can cause uh, disease and infection on corals because it affects their tissue interface, it affects their light availability, so it can, like, physically... Um, have a negative impact. And and there's research colleagues that I know have done, you know, here and in Australia showing that like, and just areas where there's more tourism and more pollution, they see more um, increased levels of coral disease. And then what is scary to me is the microplastics, because yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they're just, they're micro, so they get into everything. And studies have shown, you know, you can find microplastics in coral tissue. And and I think every organism on this planet is going to see some harmful effects of microplastics in the years to come. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask just uh, about those reefs there on the big island, especially, you know, I lived over on the west side in Kona and would all, I would go diving a lot in Puaco area. Yeah. And yeah. I, I lived down south a little bit too, near past, you know, past Honau now and yeah. um, Ho'okena and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So how's, how's how are the reefs there, you know, especially on the west side of the big island? Uh, I mean... Overall, they're doing really well, right? And and that's part of what I love here. Like the the reefs on this island are just unbelievable. Um, some of those ones around the South Island, like we've got some projects with some of the smaller fishing communities down there, and and we go and do surveys with them. And you know there was some pretty devastating mortality from the bleaching events that happened here. So a, a lot of like the larger mounding corals. Um, and the cauliflower kind of uh, like cauliflower looking branching corals. You know, you never know why, but some certain species or shape sizes tend to be more vulnerable to the bleaching. So we, we did see a lot of uh, mortality, but, you know, at most of those sites, 
we're also seeing a lot of recovery and, and they are still coral dominated reefs, you know, so it's easy to get caught up in discussions like this and just get negative, negative, pessimistic. But it's also important to remember, like these are systems that have evolved for really long times. They have the capacity to survive, recover, you know, natural disturbances, hurricanes, that's a part of life for them, right? Yeah. So they, they can take a beating and they can recover. We've just got to figure out where do we insert our day-to-day lives so that we allow them to have that capacity. Sure. All right. Well, that's a good segue. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about uh, Hawaii being the first place in the world that uh, put a sunscreen ban in place. Not exactly a ban on sunscreen, but a ban on sunscreens that have uh, a couple particular chemicals that are um, known to be harmful to coral reefs. So we've got the oxybenzone and how do you say the other one for me, John? Help me out. Oh, I mean, oxynoxate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's several. I mean, okay. Um, yeah, oxybenzone is a big one. Uh, you know, the, the, my thing with the, the, the sunscreens is it, it's, a, it's a good step in a good direction in the sense that, um, there, there's, these are harmful. I mean, it's, the chemicals are they're not good for you. You know, what I mean, you put them on your skin, it, it, they have a harmful impact. So, um, as, a, as an honest, objective scientist, you know, it, it's not really easy to give you a direct link of if you wear X amount of sunscreen, it's going to have in turn this impact on corals, right? In the actual ocean, you've got factors that are difficult to control, um, like dilution in the ocean, currents movement, water movement, wave action, etc. But in controlled lab experiments, you know, you do see negative impacts on the physiology of these organisms. Um, and so to me, considering that, yeah, it's a harmful chemical to, to any biological organism, let's look for a, an alternative, right? So um, I, I was supportive in the sense that, I mean, I, I think there's there's a lot of other issues that I would love to see get get similar attention sure. in legislation. So it's, it's important to remind people it's not a one-stop shop, right? It's not like we fixed the problem, but it's good to show that with the right uh, education and attention, we can do something to eliminate a product that's carrying harmful chemicals. And it doesn't stop there. I mean, you look at beauty products, all type of stuff that goes in our skin. I mean, read the label of any, I challenge someone to pronounce 50% of the ingredients, right? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's like a, a byproduct of our industrial revolution. You know, we've sort of had this mindset of like produce first and then see later if it has an impact instead of make sure it doesn't have an impact before we're using it. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's good to it's really good to have people out there that are that are you know doing quality control and checking these chemicals and saying, hey, if we can limit something, why not do that? Sure. And yeah, all these chemicals go in the ocean going in the ocean that are going to, you know, have some type of impact. Um, and it's also it seems like it's good for uh, like you alluded to the public awareness, right? Like at least this all the attention that this uh, sunscreen ban got in the media and will continue to get as it actually goes into place over the next couple of years has people hearing that, you know, coral reefs are experiencing challenges and stressors and diseases and all that. So at least this kind of gets, uh, gets that in front of people and then has that side benefit of maybe uh, being healthier for a person not to put oxybenzone on their skin and all that. Um, I, I think I've read that the sunscreens that, you know, have zinc oxide and so forth are better for you as a person and are safer for reefs or have not been shown to really impact coral in in experiments and stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just it's a very different thing, right? So one's a metal, you know, it, it's kind of based around a heavy metal. The other is is a is a, a chemical compound. Um, I'm always as a scientist, you got to be skeptical, you know. So I mean, sure. are safer alternatives? Absolutely. Doesn't mean that they're the perfect solution. I don't know, you know, time will tell. Um, metals can interfere with organismal development. So there, there are possible setbacks, but that's a lot of life, right? You, you've got to pick somewhere in the gray area that, that lines up as best you can. So, you know, like one thing people always ask me, like, well, what sunscreen should I get? I tell them like, well, it's not as simple as that, right? It's 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 controlled as best you can. So yeah, if you need a sunscreen, definitely go with one that doesn't have those chemicals because it's better for you. And at least as we know now, it's better for the reef. But you know, think about how much you need to be in the sun. You know, do you, do you want to lay out on the, do you need to be, you know, out there four right. hours and reapplying, reapplying? Like, you know, it's also good to um, just cover up when you can stay exactly. in the shade. Cause, and, and you do want, honestly, you do want some sun in your day-to-day life that isn't restricted, you know, yeah. by, by blocking. They've got research coming out now showing that, you know, the benefits of vitamin D can actually be activated, you know, through um, enzymes that are, that are, uh, affected by direct sunlight so you actually need some direct sunlight to get that that health benefit you know so it's it's just really not being too extreme with anything and and finding a middle ground that works for you that you know you're not exposing yourself to crazy sun and skin cancer but you're also you know limiting harmful chemicals to yourself and the environment yeah i mean as i've as i've spent more time in the sun at beaches and surfing and stuff i've gone with more of the long sleeve rash guards and, <laughs> and kept on the big hat and everything, you know, and let those things block. I've, you get enough sun anyway. I, I know but. it's so funny when you're younger, I was the same way, you know, it's just like, whatever, you know, you go out all the time and, and, and you look at people, it's like, why are they so scared of the sun? And now I'm that guy, like I got my jacket right. on, I'm not <laughs> from it because, you know, there's no shortage of the sun. It comes back every day, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. No, it's very yeah. true. Yeah. Um, wanted to kind of shift to the last uh, section of questions here and just a, a little bit a bit more about uh, your work. Um, I think you've mentioned studying kind of drivers of disease. You mentioned real quickly this uh, three-dimensional uh, work there that I thought was interesting and um, I, I saw that about you. So what's what's going on there with kind of the areas of that you specialize in for research? Yeah, thanks for asking. I mean, it, it kind of started all from that that same coral health central focus. And, you know, seeing these changes happening on reefs from disease impacts, from coral bleaching, like we spoke about, and from storm damage, et cetera, right? You you see this impact. And I found that there was a limitation with our current technology and tools where we went out and we kind of did what I'll just call now like snapshot science, right? Like we're just taking single images or observations. And I'm saying, okay, at this one point in time, this one spot looked like this. I'm going to look at 50 spots or 500 spots. And, you know, you're kind of doing this like general um, assessment, right, as best you can. But it doesn't afford you like a high resolution baseline that you can really track well over time, right? Even if I come back to the same spot, take the same two-dimensional picture, I'm missing a lot of what's really going on there, right? Like you get a coral head, but maybe the habitat that that coral head provides to fish is because it's got like a hole underneath it, right? Or some branches. And so I started thinking just really basically, well, what happens if these things die, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, like how does it change this entire ecosystem if they die? Because when they die, they're going to erode. So the mm-hmm. whole shape of this reef is going to shift. 
So as I mentioned before, they're in a flux of life and death, right? Some new corals are forming and growing and old corals are dying. And we've got this constant change going on. And the physical thing that they're changing is the actual habitat structure. So it's like the kelp forest on the West Coast. If I took out all the kelp, goodbye to all those right. fish, right? Yeah. And so then I'm stuck with this thought of how the hell do I measure 3D structure when all I've got is an hour on a dive and a camera? Like, like what can I do? And, and there's a lot of ways. People have done stuff with stereo cameras, right? Mm. But, you know, something that the, the public should be aware of is like as valuable as science is to your day-to-day -day life, right? I mean, you get no car. You use a microwave, you put food in your refrigerator. All of this stuff comes from science yeah. that people notoriously don't want to support research, you know? So I've got to fight tooth and nail to get money to do stuff, right? Yeah. Even though it's got a direct benefit to everybody's lives, it's really hard. And so getting- I mean, so many, like yeah. you mentioned, so many of the things we have in our lives and that have improved society has come from, you know, the space program or yeah. even yeah. the military doing research and experimenting with things. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you support, would, support research, people. Yeah, you, so you'd think I would just go to, you know, NSF, National Science Foundation, or any agency and say, hey, you know, I got this idea for 3D. Give me a $100,000 stereo camera, right? Yeah. But that is borderline impossible. So I started looking into different technologies, and, and this was right around the time when um, this new technology, it, it, it's, it's photogrammetry. Um, it's, it's mostly from structure for motion photogrammetry, and, you know, one thing about science we love, I, I swear, it's like scientists just love, the more complex the word, the better. It makes you sound <laughs> smarter or something. But all that means is that I can take a single camera, right, which I had before. And now instead of taking like one snapshot picture, I just take repetitive pictures. Boom, 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 boom. And they've got tons of overlap, okay? okay. Now, it's just like we used to do back in the day. You know, you take your Polaroid, shoot a canyon, and you like stitch the pictures up <laughs> on your wall. So same yeah. thing. But with computing technology advancements, you can now get algorithms to do all that for you. So instead of me spending days, weeks, months aligning, say, a thousand images perfectly, I can take the color information in the pixels and just tell the computer to do that. Now, it's a lot harder than it sounds, but it works. So boom, we match all these images. Now, because corals don't move, right? It's a solid fixed feature. So you can apply the same phenomena of life that our eyes do, right? Like, because we've got two eyes and our eyes are actually like twitching all the time, mm. you walk through a hallway, right? And you see how the apparent distance between the walls shift. And so you immediately in your brain calculate, ah, oh, it's gonna take me about a minute to walk down this hallway. Huh. But you don't stop and think about that and go, how the, do I know? Our supercomputers figure that out. Compute it right away. So people developed a very similar algorithm that said, all right, well, if there's this fixed feature and it looks one way from this angle and a different way from this angle, I can start to calculate what its mm. dimensional structure must be for ah. it to look that way from all these angles. Yeah. So now in a nutshell, I go out, I have my permanent plot. I can just swim as big of an area as I want to, right? I can strap my camera to a robot, to a ROV, like a remote operated vehicle, underwater, anything, right? I could tow it from a boat. As long as I get all these overlapping images, I stitch them together, produce a three-dimensional model. Now I have a permanent, absolute, real representation of that habitat. I mean, and it's so, wow. cameras are so high res now. And I mean, I, I'm like, I'm really into photography and stuff. So it, it was a good fit. But I mean, I could zoom in and scale these things and I can see coral polyps. You know, I can, I can get the model down to like millimeter accuracy.
That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. So what we're doing now is saying, okay, what type of three-dimensional structure does a mounding coral provide? What type of structure does a branching coral provide? Then we're, we're doing this in conjunction with all these other surveys, like fish surveys, invert surveys, you name it. And the goal is to start to see if we lose this species, like what is that going to do to the food web? How is that going to affect everything we talked about in the beginning of this interview, right? How does that affect all those resources and services? Can we find out at a certain site what is the most important coral to protect? Because it's it the most important habitat. That's phenomenal. And so this has really been a focus of yours and really just been developing and taking shape the past few years, right? Yeah. I mean, at first, because, you know, with computer technology, like everyone told me I was an idiot, it would never work. It's impossible. And that was when I knew I was onto something, right? You know, anytime people tell you it's not a good idea, you're like, all right, this might be something then. Right. And you know, I would, I would do this and I, I bought this really expensive laptop, which is now like a POS computer in comparison to what I could buy for a fraction of the price. And yeah. I'd have a lab and I'd put like two fans on it. You know, I'd come in every, like it'd take a week to process something. And wow. so saying like, you're nuts. It's too expensive and it's too time consuming. And I just kept saying, go back in time five years yeah. where we're with computers. You go ahead five years and it's going to be a 25 year leap from where we are now. And right. almost on the dot in five years from then, and I'm beyond that point now, I mean, I can process a model on my computer here on my desk in a matter of minutes. I can do several in a day. I've got my students just chugging through these things, and we're integrating it into all of our monitoring programs with, like, federal agencies, with NOAA up in the monument. And so, you know, it just took time for people to realize, like, once the technology caught up, it's just a better way of doing it because every time you do a survey now, instead of just a few pictures, you've got a full high resolution 3D model of your site. And then as time goes on, you can see exactly which corals grow, exactly which ones die, exactly which ones are more vulnerable to disease. Yeah, very cool. Guy. We've even tracked how diseases are now spreading in the 3D landscape. So oh, wow. you can see, like, are they clustering in certain areas? Are they moving in certain directions? So yeah, it just opens the door for all types of new work. Very, very cool. Uh, last like, couple questions here before I let you go. You mentioned the the monument there, uh, Papahanaumokuakea, right? The big yeah. national marine monument. You're part of the, uh, you're like an affiliate researcher, I think, with NOAA. Um, yeah. yeah, what's going what's going on up there in a, in a nutshell? How are those islands doing? Uh, now that you know especially now they have the protection and a lot, and a lot more i think scientific at, uh, attention and so forth yeah it's just an amazing place you know it, it, it's such a special area i mean to have anywhere in the world that's that's remote and and protected in that sense where it's untouched is just incredible and so what it really is 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 just a natural laboratory like i've never seen before you know we can go up there and we're in the same archipelago but I, the, the differences you see in, in fish, for instance, the predator biomass is insane because uh -huh. it's fishing. So you yeah. jump in and instead of seeing a bunch of little fish that are the last to survive that haven't been picked off, you're seeing the big fish that all that biomass should be supporting. So you've got sharks and jacks. Just it's it's just it's it's so special and, and so fortunate to work in a place where you see what it should look like. Right. How often, how often did you get to to get there? So I usually go up once a year um, on a, a specific expedition that's that's controlled and run by that that monument program. So the monument has its own sort of division in mm -hmm. NOAA that that is specifically addressed, um, you know, science and conservation and, and, and cultural practitioner in that area. And I've worked a lot with like Dr. Uh, Randy Kosaki 
um, you know, I wouldn't have been going up there if it wasn't for him. He kind of believed in the work that I was doing and, and, and thought it was necessary. And, and so I've, I've worked in a partnership between the university and the agency and basically brought the science approach I was describing, you know, looking at coral health and 3D reef structure. And we've just basically integrated it into everything they're doing up there. Awesome. And um, yeah, it's been fantastic, you know, because we've, we've captured disease events. We've, we've um, you know, had grounding events where a buoy runs off and hits the reef and we can measure the exact impact and how it changes things. So, yeah, it's, it's just given us a better chance to to study those systems, which are hard because that island part of the I mean, people forget the Hawaiian Island archipelago goes all the way up there. Right. Right. Is it, is it like eighteen hundred twelve hundred miles or some yeah, crazy it's like distance. going from I think it's like going from the Mississippi River all the way to the Oregon coast you know yeah. it's just <laughs> huge and I mean that's why it takes us a month on a ship just to get all the way up there and back and mm. the other cool thing is just for understanding corals it's like going through time in mm. a way because I'm here on the big island I've got reefs that are now a month old since the lava stopped right yeah. brand new substrate I go up to Cure and I'm walking on reefs that's like 30 million years old Wow. So you can actually go through the time of this archipelago from day one to the point that it's passing the Darwin point, right? It's disappearing. And it's crazy. Yeah, it is. It really is. And I, I mean, that's why I'm always like trying to get the word out about it. And so people realize like how special Hawaii is. You know, there's very few places in the world where you have an archipelago smack in the middle of an ocean basin that is has active to the end of an island's life. Right. You know? And, and if we don't take the advantage to study that, um, it's a lost opportunity, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to wrap it up, I noticed when I was when I was reading your bio a little bit about you know a lot of you've done a lot of outreach, um, especially look like talking to school groups and and so forth. So uh, I just wondered what that's like for you um, to be able to to talk to students and young people uh, about coral reefs in the ocean. Yeah, I I love it. I mean. Part of it is that I wasn't
all into one spectrum and making sure that you're you know actively trying to train the next generation then you're, you're not building up uh, a system that lets the planet get better and improve you know we, we need to do that as scientists yeah well i i totally appreciate that and i i value everything you said today really educational for me amazing stuff um and uh when i when i get back out there to visit i'll look you up um definitely, definitely come out man i'd love to show you some of the spots that'd be super fun yeah it sounds good but hey john thank you so much yeah my absolute pleasure yeah thanks for having me you're in the water loop <laughs>